We're delighted that you have chosen to join us on this Memorial Day weekend, a very special weekend for our nation as we celebrate those who have made the ultimate sacrifice for us as a nation and as a people to have the life that we enjoy every day. Part of our service today will be the presentation from a Gideon speaker. Our speaker today is Grady Phillips. I have had the privilege of knowing Grady for 30 years, probably somewhere around there. He and his family, they're an amazing family. They walk with God. This is not just some guy getting up telling you about the Gideon work. This is a guy who walks it, lives it every day. And so for that reason, we're delighted that he is here. And uh, so, Grady, you come and you share with the folks, and then we'll have some special times after that as well. Thank you, Steve. Yes, sir. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and prosper in the thing whereto I send it. Isaiah 55, 11. What a privilege it is to be here at Chester Freedom today and a privilege to be here at uh, this wonderful church and to worship with y'all. Thank you to the church, to the pastor, the elders for allowing us to continue this partnership that the Gideons has had with your church, uh, even back to prior years, prior locations, and different name. But God's got his people here for this time, for this reason, and we're grateful that we are able to partner with y'all. This is a note that we found in the back of a Bible in a hotel room in Myrtle Beach. To whom it may concern, I rented this room with the thought of killing myself. This Bible saved my life. Proverbs, page 696. Pregnant by another man, I have a loving husband, yet I was unfaithful, so foolish, so young. We all have problems, just called my husband. He knows and forgave. Sign me grateful. This book is blessed. So how important it is, brothers and sisters, that we have these Bibles in these hotel rooms. We get testimonies very frequently from people that go into a hotel room to harm themselves, even to take their lives. And the word of God is there. And the Lord, the Holy Spirit, coupled with his word, transforms that life. And, uh, and the life is not taken, but new life comes as that person bows the knee to Jesus. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I think of Indonesia where Ruth is uh, one of seven brothers and sisters, the most heavily populated Muslim country in the world today. And she was there in, the, uh, in her home with this very strong Muslim family. And as she went to pick up her school book that night, she reached up into the cabinet to receive her textbook. And instead, she pulled out a copy of a testament that her sister had received at school. You see, even in these Muslim countries, a lot of these Muslims, not all by any means, but a lot of them are nominal Muslims. And so she reached up there, but this was a strict Muslim family. She reached up there, but her sister had gotten it at school because even in these countries, we're able to go in many of them and place the word of God in places that you would be surprised. Now, the ones that, that bother us are the ones in the South Carolina that we may not be able to get into, but we... Uh, we have opportunities that the Lord gives us as we, as we look and pray and as doors are open. 
So Ruth opened this, she opened this book out of the cabinet. She didn't open to read it, but she knew what it was. And she knew that as uh, from her teachings that she should not read it. So she put it back in. She came back the next night. She reached in the bookcase. She pulled it out again. She really, really, really wanted to open it up. But she remained strong in her false religion, and she put it back up. And then the third night, the same thing. But each night when she did that, and she came and got that scripture, as she was looking at it, she heard in her right ear a still, small voice, you and your family will be saved. You and your family will be saved. And it startled her both those nights. She put it back up. Third night, she got it back out. She wanted it to really open it after she'd heard the voice in her ear two nights in a row. And so this time she found the movement of the Spirit to be irresistible. And she opened up the Word of God. She never looked in the Bible before, but her eyes went to Acts 16 verses 30 and 31 the account of Paul and Silas and the jailer and the question sirs what must I do to be saved believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house and Ruth fell upon her knees and as best she knew how she surrendered to Jesus because of what the Holy Spirit had been saying to her in her ear and what she read in God's word she became a believer. She, in the next ensuing months, won her family, her mother, her daddy, and her siblings, all bowed the knee to Jesus. They were rescued from that false religion. And then they trusted the Almighty, the one we sang about this morning, the great I am in the person of Jesus, our Savior. We're grateful that we can partner with you. We're, who are we? Briefly, we're born-again business and professional men, and we're an evangelical uh, missionary outreach of the church. We have only one objective in this ministry, and that's to see others one to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our singular objective. It's a very singular, uh, focused ministry. We're not trying to be all things to all people, but we're trying to show people and give the Word of God and to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Our objective is to see others one to Christ Jesus. We partner with churches everywhere to reach people anywhere. And we're in some 200 countries, nations, and territories of the world today, distributing the Word of God in 109 written languages and by app, which you can go, if you've got the handout that the uh, men handed you as you came in, You've, you've got a, uh, something that you can take home with you and read more about this ministry. But you can go to the app store and download the Gideon Bible app onto your, onto your phone. And it's over 1,700 languages of the Word of God on that Bible app. We've got 109 written, but we've got 1,700 plus electronic. And many of those electronic are say in Spanish where you can listen to it in Spanish or you can listen to it in French or you can listen to it in Urdu or you can listen to it in one of the Chinese languages. We don't speak it, but we can find that language and people we encounter, we can give the word of God that way. What a great privilege that we have to do that. Where do we distribute the word of God? We, we target 75% 
of our scriptures go to young people, college age and below. 75% of the scriptures we give out. And one of the places that we're able to go is to the South Carolina State Fair. And uh, over the years, we've had the privilege to hand out the word of God there. And we've seen uh, people come to Christ. Just this past um, October, my wife and I were in the Gideon booth. And, and by the way, our wives comprise the auxiliary and very vital part of the ministry as we are some 250,000 strong men and women in uh, these 200 lands of the world. They, they are our prayer warriors. And so as we were there in this booth at the state fair this past fall, there was a young woman next to us in the next adjoining booth with her mother. They have a at-home business she was doing. She's also a school teacher. She has four children. She appeared to be about 30 years of age. And she's got an at-home business that she was promoting at the fair. And we got to talking a little bit. And, and as we started talking, I understood that she was open to a Bible or gospel conversation. And, and I gave her a, a little testament similar to this. And she started looking at it, and she was uh, reading in it. And the one I gave her happened to be one of our translations. We hand out two English. We hand out uh, ESV and King James. And a brother, the day before, two days before, had handed out uh, one in, the, in one of the translations, and I'd handed out the other version. And she said, this is a little different. I said, yes, but it's, it's the Word of God. And she says, well, I like the way the other sounds, the one that he'd given her was king james and she liked the way it sounded better than the one i gave her but it doesn't matter it's the word of god and that's what does the transforming in fact this is the only sword that you can stick in a dead man and give him life most of the time we stick a sword in someone in battle to take their life we heard about memorial day but this is a sword of the spirit the word of god and you stick that in a dead man spiritually and he'll become alive when it's coupled with the spirit of god amen so there we were, and she became receptive. We went through the plan of salvation. And this young woman, uh, I went over to her booth, and we, we went through those verses together. And, and after just a few minutes, see, the, the Lord had already had her ripe for the harvest. One man watered. Uh, one man had planted the seed. Another watered. And I was able to be there at harvest time. And we got down on our knees on that concrete slab in that metal building down in Columbia, and she prayed to receive Jesus that day, that night at the state fair. Our God is great, and he is able where we're not. And just to think that he would let saved sinners like us reach lost sinners for him is an amazing grace that's hard to contemplate. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created unto Christ Jesus for good works, which he had prepared beforehand for us to walk in them. So he's prepared these good works for you and I to walk in. How are you doing sharing your faith? Let's just don't leave it to the pastoral staff or the Gideons or, or to the missionaries, but we're all responsible for helping be a part of carrying out that great commission. We had a... Um, a team of Gideons that went to Tanzania some uh, number of years ago, and they handed out 313,000 copies of the Word of God in, in a two-week period. And as they were going, they had 300 schools they went to, and every school was open. Every school was open. Went into every one of them. 
and left scriptures or handed them out one at a time to the students. And this one particular school they went to, they handed out the scriptures, Swahili or English, Swahili or English. And they would tell you where they wanted Swahili or English. And one little boy came back around. He said, sir, there must be a mistake. This scripture is Portuguese. And the Gideon said, no, it couldn't be. We only brought Swahili and English. And he said, let me look at that. And it had a Swahili cover on it. But when you opened it up, it was Portuguese. And the Gideon said, I apologize. You're right, son. This is a Portuguese testament. What would you like to have, Swahili or English? He said, Swahili, sir, but if you don't mind, could I keep the Portuguese scripture? And the Gideon said, why in the world would you want the Portuguese scripture when Swahili is your language? And she said, he said, sir, my father is from Brazil. Portuguese is the only language, only language he can read. Could I give that for my daddy? Of course he gave it to him. 313,000 scriptures. Only one on the whole trip was found to be in Portuguese. And Portuguese and Swahili scriptures are not even printed in the same nation. Who could do that? Only our God. Only our God could do that. We're going to see a short video here about uh, Christmas time and Jesus and telling people about the Lord. And if you'll show that at this time, please, sir.
Thank you, brothers and sisters, for uh, allowing me to share with you what God is doing with your giving financially, what he's doing with your prayer support. And if there are other uh, men or couples that would like to find out more about this ministry afterwards, I'll be happy to talk to you. And thank you for the privilege of sharing today. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. I know that this church family believes so much in the power of the Word of God, particularly as we understand how the Holy Spirit uses that Word uh, when we're submitted to Him. And so um, early in my ministry, the first church that I pastored was Kingsburg Baptist Church down in the Florence Association. And one of the first things that happened to me as a young pastor was I was invited to a Gideon banquet. And uh, I got to tell you, I didn't know who these guys were at that time because I'm just, you know, a new guy in the faith and in the, in the Lord and in uh, teaching and uh, ministry. And so I went to it and it turned out that one of the guys in the camp was just living a few miles away from me. And he and I became very good friends. And he would speak at our church uh, on different occasions. And he shared this experience as a Gideon. And he knew the person, so I'm telling you what he told me to be a true story, that a man, much like the story of the young woman that you mentioned earlier, only this time he had called and made an appointment with a prostitute in a motel. And he met the prostitute in the motel, and they were there together in the motel, and he said, we were there together, and he said... She sat down on the sofa, and, and I lay down, and I, he said, I put my head in the lap of this prostitute. And he said, none of what is about to happen should ever happen, but here I was. And he said, then she did something extremely strange. On the end table beside the sofa was a Gideon Bible. And so she picked it up and began reading it to make fun of it. And this, this prostitute in whom he had his head in her lap began reading the word of God. He said the Holy Spirit of God came over him, brought such conviction. He said, I literally rolled off the sofa onto my knees. And with her reading the scripture and laughing and making fun of it, I asked Christ to be my savior. And this Gideon had gotten to know the young man because he had made himself known to the Gideons. And uh, so there's power in the word. And I guess for me, sometimes the, the sad thing is that we're ashamed of the word of God. We don't share the word of God. It, it, it amazes me when I'm talking to people that are professing to know Christ or talking about their church and all the things they do. And you start talking to them about the word of God. It's like, it's like you're speaking a foreign language. And how sad that is. And so one of the things we're going to do now as a church family is we're going to move into a book study. And I want to give you some uh, perimeters for this. We're going to give you a little different introduction than we normally do this morning. But the book of Ephesians, because Paul's writing this this church and and he's writing to the glorious church. And here's, here's the thing about this. Less than 10 years after Paul writes his letter... To the Ephesians, less than 10 years after he writes this letter, the Apostle John writes about 
the revelation of Jesus for the church at Ephesus. And he has some really good things to say that Jesus is talking about his church and and these wonderful things. But then he gets to the very last. He says, but I have this one thing against you. You've left your first love. So in a 10-year span, this takes place in a local church body. And so I have to ask myself as a pastor, why? Why would something and how could something like that happen? Here's my answer. I think when we neglect or ignore or deny the word of God, we will find ourselves, sadly, like those others who have lost and left their first love. But the good news is that doesn't have to happen. And so what we're going to do over the next weeks is take time to go through the whole book of Ephesians and look at the truth that's revealed there and the application of that truth. But like I said, I want to do something a little different this morning. Bible Project, if you're not familiar with them, they have some great stuff online. And they have overviews of, all, I guess, almost every book of the Bible. And so we're just going to watch their video this morning of the book of Ephesians. Could you bring the lights down, please? Paul's Thank you. letter to the Ephesians. The story of how Paul came to the city of Ephesus is really interesting. You can go read about it in Acts chapter 19. Ephesus was a huge city. It was the epicenter of worship for most of the Greek and Roman gods. And for over two years, Paul had a really effective missionary presence there, and lots of people became followers of Jesus. Years later, after being imprisoned by the Romans, Paul wrote this letter. The movement of thought in the letter divides into two really clear halves. In the first half, Paul is exploring the story of the gospel, how all history came to its climax in Jesus and in his creation of this multi-ethnic community of his followers. The second half of the letter is linked to the first by the word, therefore. And here Paul explores how the gospel story should affect how we live every part of our life story, personally, in our neighborhoods and communities and in our families. So let's dive in and we can see how Paul develops all of this. Chapter 1 opens with a beautiful Jewish-style poem where Paul praises God the Father for the amazing things that he has done in Christ Jesus. From eternity past, the Father has purposed to choose and bless a covenant people. And think here, the family of Abraham and Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And through Jesus now, anyone can be adopted into that family. Jesus' death covers our worst sins, our worst failures, and in Jesus we find God's grace. In fact, Paul says that grace has opened up a whole new way for us to understand every part of our lives. He says in chapter 1 verse 10 that God's purpose was to unify all things in heaven and on earth under Christ, which is a title that means Messiah. God's plan was always to have a huge family of restored human beings who are unified in Jesus the Messiah. This divine purpose became clear, Paul says, when we were first made into that family. And here he's referring to ethnic Jews in the family of Abraham. 
But then Paul talks about how you, and here he means non-Jews, you all heard about Jesus and the salvation through him. And you were also brought into this family by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so here he's referring to the events told in the stories of Acts about how God's Spirit brought together Jew and non-Jew into one family in Jesus. It's just like God promised to Abraham long ago. Notice also how in this poem, Paul begins by talking about God the Father, but then about Jesus the Son, and then here at the end about the Spirit. All three work together as Paul tells the story of the gospel. It's really cool. After the poem, Paul responds with a prayer. He prays that these followers of Jesus would not just know about, but personally experience the power of the gospel, that they would be energized by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and placed him as the exalted head of the whole world. Now, in chapter two, Paul goes back and he elaborates on some key ideas from the poem in chapter one, especially God's grace and this new multi-ethnic family of Jesus. He begins by retelling the story of how these non-Jewish Christians came to know Jesus. Before hearing about Jesus, they were physically alive, but they were spiritually dead. They were trapped in a purposeless life of selfishness and sin, and they were deceived by dark spiritual forces of evil. But amazingly, God in his great love and mercy, he saved them, he forgave all of their sins, and he joined their lives to Jesus's resurrection life, and he's brought them back to life too. And so now, having been created as new human beings through Jesus, they have the joy of discovering all of the new calling and purposes and tasks that God has set before them. Not only have they been shown God's grace, they've also been invited into a new family. Before hearing about Jesus, these non-Jewish people, they were not just cut off from God, they were cut off from his covenant people, the family of Abraham. And for a really practical reason, the commands of the Sinai covenant, they formed like a boundary line around the family. They were like a barrier that kept most non-Jewish people away. But in Jesus, the laws of the Torah have been fulfilled and the barrier is removed. The two ethnic groups have become, as Paul puts it, a new unified humanity that can live together in peace. So Paul goes on in chapter 3 to marvel at the unique role that he got to have in spreading this good news to non-Jewish people. And even though he's in prison, he's thanking God for the chance he's had to see this covenant family grow so huge. So Paul closes the first half of the letter with another prayer. This time he prays that Jesus' followers would be strengthened by God's Spirit to simply grasp and comprehend the love that Christ has for his people. The second half of the letter begins with Paul shifting gears, and he starts challenging the reader to respond to the gospel story by how they live their own life story. So he starts in chapter 4 with just the everyday life of the church. The church is a big family with lots of different kinds of people, but he emphasizes that they are one. And one is a key word in this chapter. They are one body that's unified by one spirit. They have one Lord with one faith. They have one baptism. They believe in one God. That's a lot of unity. However, Paul says unity is not the same thing as uniformity. He goes on to explore how Jesus's new family consists of lots of very, very different kinds of people, but they're all empowered by the one Holy Spirit, each using their unique talents and passions to serve and to love each other and to build up the church. And here he uses two really cool metaphors. One is building up the church as a new temple, 
And the second is that they are all becoming a new humanity with Jesus as the head. And this new humanity is a metaphor he's going to then run with for the next couple chapters. Paul challenges every Christian to take off their old humanity, like a set of old clothes, and to put on their new humanity in which the image of God is being restored. And he then goes on into this long section where he compares this new and old humanity. So instead of lying... New humans speak truth. Instead of harboring anger, they peacefully resolve their conflicts. Instead of stealing, new humans are generous. Instead of gossiping, they encourage people with their words. Instead of getting revenge, new humans forgive. Instead of gratifying every sexual impulse, new humans cultivate self-control of their bodily desires. Instead of getting drunk, new humans come under the influence of God's spirit. And he spells out what that influence looks like in four different ways. The first two have to do with singing, singing together, but also singing alone. And this is really interesting that the first thing that Paul thinks of about how the spirit works in the lives of Jesus' people is singing and music. The third sign of the spirit's influence is being thankful for everything. And the fourth is that the Spirit will compel Jesus' followers to put themselves underneath others and to elevate others as more important than themselves. And Paul actually expands on this fourth point by showing how it works in Christian marriage. So you have a wife who follows Jesus. She is called to respect and to allow her husband to become responsible for her. And the husband is called to love his wife and to use his responsibility to lay down his selfish agenda and to prioritize his wife's well-being above his own. And Paul says it's this kind of marriage that's actually reenacting the gospel story. The husband's actions mimic Jesus and his love and his self-sacrifice. The wife's actions mimic the church, which allows Jesus to love her and to make her new. Paul then applies the same idea to children and parents as well as slaves and masters. Paul closes out the letter by reminding these Christians of the reality of spiritual evil. These are beings and forces that will try to undermine the unity of Jesus' people and to compromise their new humanity. And so Paul challenges them to stand firm and to put on this metaphorical set of body armor, which he describes in detail. And Paul has drawn all of these pieces of body armor from the book of Isaiah and how Isaiah depicted the messianic king. And so now, as the Messiah's followers, we need to make the Messiah's attributes our own since we make up Jesus's body. Practically, I think Paul means for Christians to begin to form habits, proactively using prayer and the scriptures and our relationships with each other to help us grow and mature as followers of Jesus. And that's the letter to the Ephesians. Very powerful. It's where Paul summarizes the whole gospel story and how it should reshape every part of our life story. I hope you're looking forward to this study in the book of Ephesus. I keep saying Ephesus. I know it's Ephesians. I just keep saying that. So here we are, Memorial Day. We have Gideon speaker. We're starting a new series. What's the tie together? Well, the tie together is, are we going to live the word of God or not? Are we just going to talk about it? How are we going to do this? And so over the years, I've read and read and read Psalms 91. And Because it is is Memorial Day, I know there are a lot of stories related to Psalms 91 in the application of the truth of Psalms 91, which is a, a, it's a messianic psalm, but the principles are there in how it protects us and how it can change our lives. So this is a story from World War I, 
where a brigadier general gave every man in his command, which happened to be the 91st Brigade, a little card that had Psalms 91 on it. And they read that Psalms every day. Now the story goes that even though this brigade was involved in three of the bloodiest battles of World War I, they actually suffered no casualties. While the other brigades that were in those same battles suffered up to 90% casualties. Now, can I validate that this story is completely true? No, I can't. But I can tell you this. I have read many, many stories along the same lines of what that means. And so the question for us is, are we going to take the Word of God for what it says? Are we going to appreciate and help people like the Gideons who are sharing the Word? Which, by the way, we actually support a couple who are missionaries in Tanzania. And, uh, and their disciples there, disciplers there. So what do we do with this? That's the question. So why don't we just make it real? And here's how we can make it real. We can personally decide, I'm going to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word, as James tells us in his first chapter. That means that it's going to be applicable to my whole life, not just when I come for a service like this, not just when I'm in around my religious friends or whatever, but in my life, how I make decisions, how I take the time to even research the Word of God and see, does God have an answer for what I'm going through? Because yes, He does. Is there a chapter and verse for everything? No, there's not. But there are principles throughout the Scripture that apply to every aspect. And I do mean every aspect of life. And you don't have to be really bright to look around our world today and realize that so many of the things that we're dealing with are the result of really, really bad choices that have certainly not been made based upon the Word of God. So that's going to be our endeavor as we continue to study the Word as we do here anyway. But I want you to be like the Bereans. I want you to be really researching the Word. So please take the time over the next weeks to study the book of Ephesians for yourself. We're going to be working on it. We're going to be researching. We're going to be sharing. But look for yourself because I got to tell you, I just get excited when somebody walks up to me and particularly someone who's a little older and, and I know they've been in the Word of God for such a long time and they're going, look at what God showed me. I'm telling you, this book does not grow old. It is renewed every day. It is incredible and amazing that we have the joy that God speaks to our hearts and the revelation that he gives is so incredible and so amazing and so wonderful.